0: Welcome to the EO Podcast with Brett Kiesling, part of the EO Podcast Network.
1: Hello, my friends. Thanks for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling. And as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. I am talking at this moment to Jennifer Krieger, the ESOP gal at Weaver. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing great. You recorded a podcast recently with Will Roselle. And it is called a case study, an ESOP transaction in construction. And I loved it so much that we decided that we were just going to air your podcast episode here on the ESOP podcast. So that's going to come up in just a moment, but very briefly, just tell us about your guest and what you covered in the podcast that people are about to hear.
0: Yeah, thanks Brett for letting me take over the ESOP podcast for an episode. I'm honored and pleased to be able to share a little bit about my client Will Rosell. He's the CFO at Piper Houston Electric and he's talking to me in this episode about the ESOP transaction that Piper Houston went through and Will has a unique perspective because he was involved in the transaction as the M&A advisor as well as then afterwards coming on board with them to become their chief financial officer. So we'll brings a lot of expertise to the decision of, of why they went down the path, the pros and cons of the ESOP, and talking about how the ESOP is impacting the company from a construction perspective, especially as it relates to retention or various employment matters, especially because we know labor is so hard to find in construction right now
1: it is absolutely critical. And construction, there are certainly plenty of ESOPs in the construction space, both residential and commercial. But that is one area that's been identified where there is room for so, so much more. So generally, if you are interested in how transactions work, you're going to learn some stuff. But particularly to the friends we haven't met yet in the construction field, this should be an action-packed episode. And on our show notes, we're going to include some background information about you and Will. And we'll also have your contact information. And hopefully if anyone's curious or want to see how they can proceed in the construction or any industry but we'll have contact information for you on our website
0: perfect thanks so much for sharing
1: brett with that i'm going to stand down and turn over the rest of this episode to jennifer krieger and will rosell i hope you enjoy
2: hi i'm
0: jennifer krieger with weaver's valuation services group i'm joined by will rosell at piper houston electric Will is Piper Houston's Chief Financial Officer and I'm pleased to be today to be talking to him about their ESOP. Will, would you like to start by sharing a bit about yourself
3: and Piper Houston? Hey, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Um, Will Roselle, Chief Financial Officer of Piper Houston Electric. We're a commercial electrical contractor serving the greater Houston area since 1958. We have a full team of designers and engineers and provide a wide array of services, anywhere ranging from uh, a demand call which is, you know, hey, come out, um, take a look at our lighting system, all the way up to large scale design build projects. Um, Right now we have about 300 people with 60 in the office and prefab shop and the balance of our um, employee owners uh, are in the field. we've been ESOP owned um, for the last two and a half years about, um, three years in December. Um, Some of the marquee projects we're working on right now, um, several in the Texas Medical Center, uh, we just finished up Ben Bentop Hospital Renovation. Um, within the last year, we worked on UT Health Science Center. We're working uh, right now on uh, the Texas A&M Medical School and Engineering uh, Student Housing and a portion of uh, TMC3.
2: Awesome. Thanks for that overview. Um, I'm particularly excited to have you um, with us today because you bring a really unique perspective to Piper Houston because of your involvement with the ESOP transaction that happened about two and a half or three years ago now, and then came over and actually went internal with the company to become the CFO for Piper Houston. Can you you backtrack for us and tell us a little bit about your role in the ESOP transaction specifically?
3: Sure. So before coming to Piper, I was a middle market Um, M&A advisor, uh, primarily on the sell side, helping companies um, evaluate their exit alternatives, um, figure out what is the best course of action, and then execute the transaction, whether it's a third-party sale or an ESOP or management buyout. So Piper was my client for about two years before coming over um, in 2020, and my role was to assist the um, selling shareholder in just that, you know, what's the best exit for the company, um, himself, his family, and, you know, really most importantly in this story is all of our employee owners and their families. So for Piper's Selling Shareholder, um, you know, the best option was really more kind of what was best for, for everyone. Um, you know, it takes a lot of people to build a company. Not one person builds any company, Um and you know Piper's sixty-year history wasn't built by one person. It was built by you know three hundred plus people. And you know probably the the main thing that was considered in the ESOP transaction was you know doing a deal that makes sense for everyone. Um, you know it wouldn't have made any sense to you know do a transaction and then people that helped grow the company could be potentially disrupted um, in the transaction. And then um, also to, you know, in the ESOP transaction to transfer that wealth that the employees have helped build to them over time in exchange for their their hard work, their efforts, and their loyalty of staying with the company and helping the company grow.
2: Thanks for that that overview. As a part of going through that transaction process, yeah. you know, you had mentioned that selling shareholder, Bud Walters. Did Bud have any knowledge about the ESOP before you brought it up as part of your your strategizing on the best exit strategy for him and the company? And was there like an educational component with Bud to ensure that he was on board with the ESOP exit?
3: Um, yeah, I think like most business owners, um, especially in uh, the construction industry have a general knowledge of ESOPs, and that could be from, you know, working um, for general contractors that have employee ownership, or just, you know, being peer groups with other trade contractors that are employee owned. ESOPs tend to be more prevalent um, within the construction industry, so you know, our selling shareholder had a, you know, some understanding of an ESOP and the typical questions of hey, does it make sense for me? Um, you know, some of the misconceptions um, or just the areas that we spent some time discussing was, you know, yeah, if, if you sell the company, it doesn't mean you have to go away. I mean, in a lot of instances, you know, the the selling shareholder plays a big role in the company and, you know, doing a transaction that changes that could could impact the company negatively. Um, so we, we crossed that bridge in that, Yes. You can still have a productive role in the business. Um, you know, there are other people to be accountable to with other shareholders, but, um, you know, subject to that corporate governance, you know, there's, you can still control, um, the company and the key decisions that are made. Um, and then, you know, lastly is, you know, what is a transaction look like selling to your employees versus selling to a third party? Well, um, you know, the the big thing would be the the structure in that, you know, a third party may be more likely to come in and, you know, have their own people and cash out the selling shareholder. And the transaction will be completed a lot sooner. Um, and some ESOP transactions, you know, could complete sooner than others. But, you know, the way that we chose to structure our transaction was a kind of a longer-term approach that didn't put any, you know, financial stress on... Um, on the business.
2: So, Will, did you have any other discussions with the selling shareholder, Bud, in regards to you know, other options outside of employee ownership? And why did he ultimately choose to go the employee ownership route over other options?
3: Well, sure, yeah. So, you know, in part of the kind of exit planning exercise that we uh, performed uh, to look at other options, we did talk about kind of a, a third-party sale Um, and we, we chose to not, um, pursue that route because, you know, the selling shareholder really felt that the culture and, you know, the the tenure of the people is what makes, uh, the company special. Um, so if you look at our business, like we have over a hundred trade laborers, um, employee owners in the field that have been here for over a decade, we have people in the office that have been here for. 30, 40 years our customers are used to these people and it's really part of the what, what we think is the you know what makes Piper special and you know not to say you know that that's guaranteed to go um, a foul in a third-party sale but you never know I mean you could sell the company to you know the highest bidder that's coming in from a different market that has you know financial, Cost synergies, and they don't need an uh, year accounting team. They don't need some of your estimators. They don't need you know key people of the organization. And um, you know, as owners, I mean, we know we know best what makes Piper special, and we were very sensitive to what was built by the selling shareholder and really the the rest of the team just as much um, to be you know, not, uh, continued on into the future and then negatively impact the employees. So, you know, the, you know, the, the best thing for the company in this case was the best thing for the people and the selling shareholder, which is to keep everything intact and transfer the ownership and the wealth that has been generated by all the employee owners to the employee owners over a period of time.
2: And I think when I was on site with you guys doing the management interview for our, our latest valuation. I um, got to meet some of your staff there and I was just struck by the tenure that you have with Piper Houston over the years. That's um, that's a really important aspect and well worth preserving. <laughs> so in, in researching and discovering employee ownership um, for you yourself, well, did you find any resources that were particularly valuable to you and that you found to be go to resources and helping bud through this decision making process.
3: Sure. Um, yeah, I mean the, the most important um, thing that we did uh, once we chose to pursue an ESOP transaction was to you know bring together what we thought was kind of the rock star team in the city that we could um, <laughs> that we could put on our side to, to have the transaction that is well thought out, um and you know be the best thing for the company and all of our people you know for a business owner that's considering a sale and you're curious about an esop i really like the nceo which is the national center um, for employee ownership they're a great organization um we are still a subscriber to that they're a great organization we are um we are a member of the nceo Um, even three years into this journey. Another great resource that we um, are involved with is the Employee Ownership Expansion Network at a national level, and then also the state chapter within Texas. Um, Just I see this organization growing nationally pretty rapidly, and they have the goal of um, promoting ESOP ownership. The educational piece, Uh, really the same questions that our Selling Shareholder had uh, which you know, if they're not appropriately addressed, could result in ESOP transactions not taking place.
2: Well, could you just share some of the aspects of the transaction that you or or Bud, as the selling shareholder, wish you knew before going through the ESOP transaction?
3: Um, well, you know, I, I served as as quarterback on the ESOP transaction, um, so I think everyone was kind of well educated on kind of what to expect, but just some. Some general advice for business owners that are considering an ESOP. Um, number one, you know, the best deal team that you can put together. You know, obviously consider cost, but you know, also consider the best value. It's a very important transaction and event in your company's history. Um, a lot of research has been done um, around productivity gains for ESOP companies versus non-ESOP companies, and how ESOP companies tend to outperform their non-ESOP counterparts. Um, some of the research that I've seen um, usually ranges in about a 2% productivity improvement. And the advice that I would give you is, you know, becoming an ESOP company is not, okay, we're going to complete this transaction. We're going to transfer the wealth to our employee owners that have helped build the company while... Um, Allowing the selling shareholder to realize his, his equity investment, and you know that's the end of the road. I mean, there's that's really the beginning of a of a new chapter. Um, you know, productivity gains by being an ESOP company. I mean, that's contingent on your employee owners understanding it and being educated on how they can um, take actions in their their day to day environment that create equity value for the company um, and that's you know it's that could look different for different companies is it a blue collar company is it a white collar company how how educated are your people on financials and what they can do to control that i mean maybe some companies could be doing that today as non-esop companies and some companies pick it up when they become an esop company but you know becoming an esop company And banking on productivity gains without having that communications and education as part of your strategy is something that you should be aware of going into the transaction and you'll probably be disappointed.
2: Thanks Will. And that's a really good lead into my next question, which was, what are the benefits or impacts that you're seeing on Piper Houston as an employee-owned company? Um, Not only to the company, but to the workforce and, and to you as an individual.
3: Sure. Um, you know from a from a company standpoint, I think the the most important thing is it was a seamless transaction. you know our our customers that um, we serve you know every day and you know, in some cases for decades, you know they don't see an operational change. they don't see you know new faces. Um, the level of service that we provide in the market, I think has only grown um, through, you know three hundred plus people that we educate to to behave like owners. Um so, you know, similarly, you know, culture's intact and I think it kind of brings a team uh closer together. Um, you know, one thing I like to say is everyone in the in the company, all of our employee owners I and mean, enroll partners in the company together. Um you know, we became an e sub company in January twenty twenty and then you know, at that point, COVID was, was going around and people were just kind of starting to hear about it. And then a couple months passed and then it was something serious. And then, um, you know, at one point we had 80 to 90 people out of work. Um, and I think that we handled that better as employee owners um, than, you know, maybe companies that don't have that culture or employee ownership could have handled it. For our employees in our workforce, yeah, you know, it means that everyone has a has a chance to participate in the the upside in the company that they help create. I you mean, know, the average, and I hope the numbers aren't stale, but that you know the average four hundred one k balance. Um, I'm sorry, I hope the numbers aren't stale. You know, the average. Um, ESOP balance at the time um, we pursued the transaction in the United States is about one hundred and eighty-eight thousand dollars. I mean that's that's significant. Okay. I hope that you know we can we can reach that balance as a as a company um, at, at some point. And then you know another kind of goal would be to have our the size of our ESOP exceed our four hundred one k. As an as an individual um, with the ESOP. I mean, I enjoy, you know, working and helping the employee-owned company grow. Um, helping, you know, there's a there's a greater cause and purpose, right? Of as opposed to working for a you know publicly traded company, we all work for each other, and we um, realize the you know the profits and the equity value. Um, that we can create, and that you know, that's on top of 401k and you know, just regular um, compensation across the board for everyone in the company. I think it's something um, pretty unique. Um, and then lastly, you know, from a company standpoint, you know, a lot of a lot of businesses have a you know a sale, and then a new owner comes in, and they're holding the company as an investment for x period of years, and they're you know, changing a lot, but they don't have that long-term mindset and I think that's kind of a unique advantage that the long-term ESOP ownership structure can provide to the company that, you know, over time could be beneficial as opposed to everyone, you know, working hard to have a, you know, undefined exit in another three years and then um, just repeat the process more of a long-term approach.
2: So switching gears here a little bit, what are some of the challenges that you've faced in in Piper Houston being employee owned?
1: So
3: some of the challenges that we avoided um, by doing an ESOP would have been a third-party sale that disrupted um, the business, you know, whether it's, you know, management having a different strategy um, or making moves that just affect the culture, becoming our, you know, Leveraged company and dealing with the decisions that have to be made as as part of that, um, you know, another challenge is you know really more of an opportunity, which we touched on earlier, is the opportunity of communicating to our people, like owners, and teaching them how um, to be more productive and educating them on what it means for themselves at the end of the day, whether it's today or the end of the year and a ESOP. Um, Contribution or allocation to their account, and what that statement looks like, and then also what does it look like for that individual at various dates, depending on how far away they are from retirement. And something that we try to do is, you know, put together uh, scenarios for people. Hey, you're, you know, you're 25 years old. You're a journeyman electrician. Um, If you were to work till age 65. You know, under these um, assumptions, here's what your ESOP account would look like. But you still have to perform every day and and, uh, let's get on that last part. Some other challenges that we can address um, uniquely as an ESOP company um, in 2022, you know, we're in a red hot labor market still. And, you know, this is really nothing new. Um, for, for trade contractors, you know, there's always a skilled, um, skilled labor shortage in the country, but you know, it's, it's exaggerated to it's that. Okay. So some other challenges would be that we're competing in a red hot labor market, um, trade contractors. This has really always been the story for the past couple decades Is there's you now a severe shortage of of electricians Um, and, you know, being an ESOP company is just one more thing that we can offer potential employees or, you know, hey, uh, don't be an employee, be an employee owner. And here's something that we can provide in addition to uh, some competitors that are going after similar labor.
2: Will, so why might employee ownership or um, employee stock ownership plans be a good exit option for businesses in the construction industry? And and maybe conversely, also discuss why not.
3: Sure, um, you know the, I think for the why, you know, to address the shortage of skilled labor, some companies that can do an ESOP transaction transaction effectively implemented and communicated um, could see um, increased. Uh, retention or um, increased ability to attract talent, which is you know critical to the success of any company, construction or not. Um, and then as we as we talked about earlier, um, you know having a productivity on vantage, advantage on bid day, you know could allow you to have the same um, same bid, but you know a greater profit margin, or you could be able to get down to a number and still make money that some of your know non ESOP owned or less productive companies cannot get near Um, some reasons to not do it you know I really don't see any any blaring um, construction industry specific reasons why a company shouldn't do an ESOP Um, you know just kind of to reiterate the point earlier is it's very important to use a experienced deal team and then also you know it's important uh you know specific to the construction industry is talk to your talk to your banker talk to your bonding agent keep them keep those two key parties informed of what you're doing um you know i don't think there's a specific downside in the construction industry but it's a conversation right if you're doing a leveraged esop transaction you should tell your banker before you put the debt on the books you should tell your bonding company um, so it's not a surprise because you know if your bonding company if your because if your bonding capacity is impaired or if your customer um, qualification um, status is impaired, now the business is impaired because you did an ESOP transaction, which was really supposed to help the business, but um, those parties weren't kept informed.
2: Will, is there anything about Texas that made employee ownership an easier or a harder choice for Piper Houston?
3: Another benefit of you know being in uh, Houston is you know, I think our elected officials, they understand that ESOP ownership is a good thing for the community, for the people from the top to the bottom. Um, we've hosted Governor Abbott our local um, Houston City Council members, our local um, Texas state representatives in our office to talk about, you know, our sub transaction and what worked for us, what are some challenges, how can we promote more employee ownership throughout the state? Um, because, you know, the truth is is when the when an employee-owned business is growing, it's benefiting all the people. We're providing more Opportunity for all of our employee owners, but we're also creating a wealth-building opportunity for our employee owners. And when companies uh, choose to uh, sell to an ESOP as opposed to a third-party sale, I mean that keeps jobs intact in this in this city or in this state because you know a, a third-party buyer could come in from out of state and they already have, they could already have entire departments that are in overlap with with the company that is here. Now there's a disruption to all those people.
2: So if we can move on here to, you know, what's been kind of the biggest surprise for you, Will, of
3: being employee-owned? So I think that the biggest surprise that I've I've seen over the past three years is just how much traction our employee stock ownership plan has gotten across the organization um, from, from top to bottom. Um, our people our employers I mean they all love owning a part of the company and being part of this together um, we like to tell our people that you know the esop is a wealth accumulation tool you know it's not a savings account um, this is a way that we can all realize the financial impact of the work that we all do together um, and you know performing and growing the business
2: what would you tell yourself going into this what kind of advice would you give yourself as the quarterback, or to the selling
3: shareholder? But well, I would do the same thing uh, all over again, and and Piper would as well. Um, but so, but some top points just to kind of drive home again for um, companies or business owners that are interested in pursuing employee ownership. Um, so some top points for um, companies, management teams, and. Um, selling shareholders that are um, looking at X alternatives is to consider an ESOP. It's a way to keep your culture intact. even if you even if you sell hundred percent of the company because that perhaps is best for your um, timeline or tax benefits. Um you can still serve as CEO. You can still have the same role in the company. There's not going to be an impairment to the company because you choose employee ownership. Um, if you do go down the path, you know, talk to people that are working on ESOP transactions. Reach out, talk to um, ESOP companies in your city. Um, there's There could be a misconception that, you know, you take a financial hit by selling to an ESOP. But, you know, Jennifer, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the, the law says is that the transaction can be priced at what a financial buyer would pay without a strategic buyer synergy. Uh, so, you know, it's probably roughly the same dollars and cents, but you keep the culture, avoid any disruption, have a seamless transaction. Um, you know, use a knowledgeable deal team. Um, and again, don't be afraid to reach out to other ESOP companies around to um, get advice on the people that you're you're using. Um, keep parties informed. Management team as a big one. Lender, bonding agent. Um, yeah, it seems like pretty simple advice, but I've heard some, you know, stories about, you know, company doing a transaction and then they reach out to key parties afterwards and it's a surprise and it could create um, some issues for the business. And you know I mean And lastly, you know, when doing an ESOP transaction, it's not, you know, the end of the road. It's just a kind of start up a new chapter of employee ownership and um teaching your people how to be owners, how to behave like owners, um, with, you know, the goal of recruiting, retention, sharing the story, uh, growing the business, expanding the culture, um, to have that, you know, two percent studied margin improvement. Doing the transaction and assuming that there'll be a, a pickup that just occurs. You know, those should be that strategy should be in place in the beginning of how it will be rolled out.
2: Definitely and and you're right will in regards to the, the the purchase price you know an esop needs to transact at fair market value which we can look at the wide variety of what the market is willing to pay for a company in order to help make that determination of what fair market value is. The other piece of it is we're often looking at the cash flows of the company itself and what's What's the value that can be substantiated based upon the cash flows? But I want really to want to thank you, Will, for for coming out and uh, joining me today to talk about your ESOP transaction and and Piper Houston. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me. Thanks, Jennifer. I enjoyed
1: it. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this very special edition of the ESOP podcast that was hosted by Jennifer Krieger in her own podcast with her guest, Will Roselle. My gratitude and appreciation to Jennifer for letting me share it with my audience. I hope you enjoyed it, got something out of it. Thank you so much for listening. This is Brett Kiesling. Be
2: well. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at EO Podcast Network and on Twitter at ESOP Podcast. This podcast has been produced by Brett Kiesling for the EO Podcast Network. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Branding and marketing by Bitsy Plus Design. And I'm Bitsy McCann.